0: This episode is brought to you by Upcase. Now that you've mastered the basics, Upcase makes it easy for you to take the next step. Not a bootcamp or a MOOC, we're a finishing school. We'll show you how the best developers around tackle coding challenges, what their backgrounds are, and how they got to where they are. Stick with us, and soon you'll be taking the junior out of your title. Learn more at upcase.com. Welcome to this episode of Crossroads. Today I'm joined by Melissa at ThoughtBot in the Boston offices. Melissa, maybe you could do a little intro about what you do and your role.
1: Sure. So I am a developer at the Boston office. I've been here for about four and a half years. Mm-hmm. So it's been quite a while. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're a veteran of sorts.
0: Yes, yes, definitely. And what sort of languages do you work in?
1: Primarily Ruby. So mostly Ruby on Rails. I'm starting to dabble into some Elixir. So doing a bit of Phoenix. Mm-hmm. I wrote maybe 10 lines of Elm in my last project.
0: Those 10 lines could have been crucial. So They were, I went, they I were t-
1: important. They <laughs> were important.
0: Exactly. Better 10 important lines than a thousand insignificant ones, eh? Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah totally. I love copying and pasting.
0: <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome. So one of the things that we've been trying to do with this podcast is talk to experienced developers like yourself and kind of take you back to a time when you weren't so experienced and take you back to that place and figure out how you got to where you are now a lot of the questions that we have coming through are around well how do I know I'm not a junior developer anymore how do mm-hmm. I know that I've become experienced mm. how did you manage that transition
1: I feel like I'm still going through that transition like really every day yeah <laughs> so to give some background I actually never programmed until I went to college. Right. So I actually came to Boston and um, studied computer science at Mm Northeastern. And I actually don't remember why I decided programming was a thing I was going to do. I do remember looking at a bunch of different majors and I changed my mind so many times. I wanted to be a psychologist. I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to be so many different things. And I think I asked a family friend for some advice. And it was either some sort of like business major or a computer science major. And I was like, let's go with computer science. That seems to be different. When you
0: asked a family friend for advice, Mm -hmm. what sort of questions were you asking? And what sort of responses were you getting to those questions?
1: I don't remember what the question I asked was. But I do remember that he said that computer science and finance were in high demand. And I knew that from, of those choices, computers were more interesting to me. I remember when I was younger, we got our first computer, it was Windows 95. And my dad always had me fix problems on the computer, even though I didn't know that much more than he did. Maybe it was the language barrier that helped me kind of, you just be able to do that. But somehow, maybe I figured, oh, I love fixing things, and I love being able to, like, poke around computers and devices, even, like, now, like, I think one of the reasons why I still have an Android is because I love configuring everything. And so, yeah, so I just dived into programming at Northeastern, and it was really, really hard. I don't even know how to describe it. I remember definitely my freshman and sophomore year at college, I remember calling my mom in between classes and crying and telling her I want to change my major, I want to change schools, I wasn't making friends, and I don't understand what I'm learning. And it was a really hard time. And I mean, thinking about it now, I mean, it's been, it'll be 10 years this fall, basically, since I started college. And so it's been a long 10 years of learning how to program. And there's still days, even more recent days, when I feel like I have no idea what I'm doing. Right. Right. I feel like I'm just constantly leaping in a way. Like I will, but I don't never know when I'm when
0: the next leap is coming.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right. Like once I, I'll know once I get there. Uh huh. It's usually when I'm like banging my head against something really difficult. Right. And all of a sudden, it's like an aha moment. Sometimes just getting some sleep <laughs> over it. I like dream in code. Sometimes is really weird.
0: That sounds pretty useful. If you ask me. Oh, it's me. stressful. It's not.
1: <laughs> I don't know if it's useful. It's more stressful than anything. <laughs> yeah i I think it's one of those like this field is one of those like really interesting ones where you're just constantly learning because right. things are also constantly changing mm. and there are so many different ways to do the same things and I don't know. I I guess I think about how to do things differently all the time and. See if there's anything that I've learned in the past that can help me now. But when I'm panicking, mm-hmm. it doesn't really help very much at that moment. But all that is to say, I never program before I went to college. And yeah, still a journey for me right now. For
0: sure, for sure. It's really interesting that you mentioned kind of the struggle of finding your place with mm-hmm. this new thing that you're learning.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How important do you think the role of community has been in your programming journey so far?
1: Oh, it has made the biggest difference. I think in college, I hung out with people who would go to all different sorts of events all over the city. I mean, Boston is a huge college town. Right. And so there are so many different things going on, especially we mostly went to a lot of MIT events. I remember going to Bar Camp, which is this unconference that they had every year or twice a year. I remember going to those events. I remember going to talks at MIT. We also hosted talks on campus as well. And just going to the things are so inspiring. Some of the topics are not programming, some of them are just like more general tech things. Some of them are just general nerdy topics. Maybe it's like games or something like that. And it's just very energetic and very inspiring to be amongst other people who are so enthusiastic about learning new yeah. things and learning about this stuff. And so I feel like I wish I had done more of it mm-hmm. in college. Unfortunately, compu- studying computer science means that it takes, a- takes up a lot of time. <laughs> right. So I think I would have liked to have gone to more meetups, mm-hmm. but it was something that I didn't really know about back then. Right. And now that I am involved in meetups and running them and attending them, I think that is that is huge.
0: That's so interesting. Tell me more about your time in college you know, finding out all of this stuff, extracurricular activities, Mm -hmm. online communities, because you've you've had a really interesting 10-year journey, Mm -hmm. whereby at the time you you started college, you had no programming experience whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Then I'm assuming you graduated around the time the last economic crisis was. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: What was it like graduating into that environment?
1: So I graduated... Five years ago, so by the time, actually, by the time I graduated, it was much better. Right. I remember having a few friends who graduated around 2007, 2009-ish, and salaries are so much lower than what you would get now, like, fresh out of college. Right. And it was insane. I mean, there were still a lot of programming jobs, like, more programming jobs than there were for for people to take them, but much, much smaller market than there is now. Right. Right. So personally, it didn't it didn't affect me individually, but I definitely see it affect my friends, mm-hmm. and I think because of that, it has also affected the rest of their careers. Like even the careers right now, like there are a few of them who have actually moved away from tech because they just couldn't make enough. I mean, they started out with maybe a software job, software engineering job after college, but that didn't last very long. Right, they moved on to slightly more tangential jobs, like maybe more. IT-ish maybe like or maybe they traveled instead traveled abroad I know I have a few friends who went abroad to teach English right that sort of thing but by the time I was out I was I was in a pretty good state it was it was good and the nice thing is that the college I went to we had a co-op program Mm -hmm. and so that actually helped tremendously like so co-ops are basically like internships. Right. And it's actually built into our five-year program at the school. Mm-hmm. And so every six months, we would either take classes or work full-time. Wow. Yeah. So by the time we graduate, on average, we would have about 18 months work experience. Of work experience, exactly. That's
0: pretty incredible. So, and that's quite unique. I don't know a lot of universities who do that.
1: There aren't many, but it's becoming more popular. There are definitely several, definitely on like the East Coast, who do a co-op program and I think it's becoming more of a thing now. Right. Especially in tech, for sure. It definitely gives us a more competitive edge because we have work experience before we even graduate and I think that helps a lot. I know a lot of people, a lot of friends who it really gave them a great boost when they were looking for jobs for, after graduation.
0: This is really really interesting. So you mentioned you've been here for four and a half years, mm-hmm. but you graduated about five years ago. What mm-hmm. were you doing in those six months between... So Not I, to interrogate your CV. Oh no, I mean, fine. I don't want this to turn into like... <laughs>
1: <laughs> and so can you explain this gap? <laughs> it's okay. I actually just went back to one of my previous co-ops. Right. I have a tendency of doing an internship or a co-op with an employer and then staying on while I'm in classes. And so in this case, like, it was actually my last co-op, so I did that the semester before, my very last semester in at, in college, and I continued working for them. And then afterwards, they wanted more help, and I didn't have anything lined up yet for right after graduation, and so I decided to go back there for several months. So by the time I graduated, I actually had been accepted into the apprenticeship program here at Thoughtbot, right, right. and so I was supposed to start that September after I graduated, but the company I went back to they wanted a little more help for a few more months, I actually stayed a little longer and then pushed back my start date here so it was it was good. It was really nice for them to want me enough to actually want to hire me full time too because I was during that six months, I was just considered a contractor essentially, right. but they did offer me a salary, but the apprenticeship program was just something I couldn't pass up. so I decided no, and I want to take this risk it's a three-month thing and back then the apprenticeship program was a little different than how it was now where you're not guaranteed a job at at the end of it like it was definitely you're still thought I was going to help you look at companies and help you find a job afterwards and I just ended up staying which is amazing
0: (laughs) awesome really really awesome so you mentioned that you have in the past found immense value in meetups Mm -hmm. and now are running a few of them Mm -hmm. what are the sorts of pieces of advice that you would give for someone who's looking to round out their range of experiences and skills because a lot of people who we've had questions from Mm -hmm. think that in order to become an experienced developer you just need to be a better coder but there's another school of thought which says well actually you need to you know build up a lot of holistic skills around that you -hmm. need to learn how to pair program you need to learn how to be good at organizing communities of coders Mm etc etc what's your position on that and how do you feel about those sorts of Different schools of thought around this issue?
1: Sure. I am definitely in more of the latter mm-hmm. camp. I definitely believe that by just being amongst an environment that fosters learning and being excited about it, and it doesn't really matter if the topics that you're learning about aren't related. I think just being there, you, I don't know how to describe it, I feel like you become more intelligent just by like through like osmosis of. From other people essentially and it's weird how that works i don't i don't know if there's a science to that sort of thing but i totally believe that if you go to all these meetups all these different events in the community and you meet all these people and you learn about all these different topics first of all the topics will round you out on its own just right. knowing about so many different things it's amazing yeah and then when you meet these people you get to hear about different perspectives and that matters a lot. I mean, in programming, there are so many different languages, so many different frameworks, so many different concepts. And maybe, like, when you're first learning, it's good to stick with one and then just run with it. Right. But then as you grow, you want to hear about other perspectives. You want to hear about how are other people approaching these things. And that's that's really important. And I think by going to these meetups, that's how you get that. And giving talks or doing mentoring right. or doing volunteer work, that sort of thing. I run these RailsBridge workshops. Mm-hmm. And when we recruit TAs, like volunteers to help mentor and teach the students, we tell them, hey, this is a great opportunity to teach what you just learned. Right. And even though it's a completely beginner workshop, like you're working with people who have never programmed in their life before, it's great like you're you're teaching very basic stuff I mean basic to us but like right. you know it it's not necessarily basic to the students mm. but being able to explain these things well is is hard I mean as an example there are plenty of professors and teachers who at colleges and universities who might be great at research right but not not so much good at teaching <laughs> Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm it's nodding tough.
0: furiously. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, so it's that sort of thing. And I think being able to articulate the things that you know is very, very important. If you're able to do that and be able to like, spread it to other people, I think that that is huge. I think that's how people learn well. Yeah. And I mean, you can do all the self-learning that you want, but I think adding a little bit of a human element to it is, is even better.
0: No, definitely. And uh, I think one of the side benefits that I've gained personally from attending meetups and events is actually just getting to know the industry and mm-hmm. understanding the lay of the land, mm-hmm. knowing what sort of employers are like what because you hear about them in in the trenches, so mm-hmm. to speak. And then also knowing about what sort of opportunities are open before they hit the websites, before mm-hmm. they hit the email lists. So I think it's you know, you learn a lot, but you also end up benefiting from the knowledge of the community mm-hmm. on the ground, yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, through running events in the community and even participating. I mean, I honestly wouldn't be here if I didn't go to an event as a student right. and hear about Thoughtbot and the apprenticeship. I mean, I actually was friends with one of our coworkers because mm. we went to college together, and he was already working at Thoughtbot at the time. And we were just chatting up at one of the events that Thoughtbot had run called Boston IO. And he, we were just catching up. And then he was telling me about this apprenticeship program. And then he connected me with Dan Crook, Mm-hmm. And then we chatted more about that. And that encouraged me to apply like immediately, basically. Because it was exactly what I needed at that time. I was a senior in college. I was about to graduate. I didn't really have anything lined up yet. And I still felt like there was more to learn. And I think it was like an after party that we all chat together. So if I didn't go to that, I don't think I would have had this opportunity. I wouldn't be here now. And it was awesome to also have the opportunity once I started working at Thoughtbot to run that event myself,
0: too. Right, right. And
1: just kind of like giving back to what I had benefited, basically. That's so, really great. Yeah, it's really great. I, You just never know what kind of opportunities you'll come across, essentially.
0: For sure, for so. sure. So two things. One is you've spoken about leaps and mm-hmm. that kind of like not knowing when the leap's going to happen, but it does feel like you're sort of being catapulted from one level to another. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is that you've, you've had this career that spanned 10 years really in programming mm-hmm. so far, which is it's pretty impressive. I mean, I can't use profanity, but the Brit in me wants to. I mean, it's, it's,
1: <laughs> it's pretty impressive.
0: And I'm wondering in those 10 years where the leaps happened and what they felt like as they were happening.
1: So I didn't jot them down, (laughs) but I think they happen usually like every few years, I would say. They're not very frequent. They're definitely very like for a few in between. Mm -hmm. My very first one for sure was after my first internship right? because it was the first time I was applying things that I was learning in school at an actual job. In college, the very first language that I learned was scheme, which most people haven't heard of I haven't <laughs> but it is a mm-hmm. it, it is a functional programming language Northeastern uses it as a mostly as a pedagogical mm-hmm. yeah pedagogical yeah. tool tool to teach programming and it was it was really cool I mean it took me a while to wrap my head around it but it was it was really cool like looking back on it like I am grateful for yeah. having had learned that especially now that everyone's getting into Haskell and right, the whole functional right. thing I'm like functions back, back in that before, before. <laughs> nothing new <laughs> Yeah, so my first internship was actually writing in Perl, which is also, I guess, now another obscure language. I wouldn't say people. <laughs> obscure so
0: much as like maybe old school, old school like yes, a throwback so. <laughs> language.
1: It's like, I think yeah. in
0: about two years, it's going to get cool again. Yeah, I yeah. can see that. Yeah, yeah. no,
1: I actually loved, and I probably still love writing in Perl. Yeah, I think I wrote in that the longest. But yeah, so that was my first internship. And being able to write actual code that like does stuff and people are using the stuff that I'm doing. Like, I was, I was doing web development, actually. Right. It was amazing, and I felt like I got back into school feeling so much more prepared and ready for the next thing. Right. And I think that happened for every co-op that I did, because the, each co-op that I did, it actually being in a different industry each time. Yeah. The, like, the first one was, like, conference abstract collection, and then the first co-op was travel search stuff travel search engine, and I did natural language processing next. I also did some like system operations stuff at some point too for another co-op. So a lot of different languages. There was Python, there was Java, there was lots and lots of Perl, there was oh, I don't even know what else. I did PowerShell once too. Wow. Was, yeah, that was, <laughs> that was something. I don't think I've heard that in like four years. <laughs> PowerShell. Yeah, I don't know if people still write that these days probably i'm sure
0: there's someone somewhere on the internet yeah. who's still like keeping that alive
1: yeah, yeah yeah so i think pretty much after every co-op that i did it was i learned something new and i had some sort of aha moment some were bigger than others i think it comes with the application too like how you're writing your code and what it's for because web development is different from natural language processing right and it's different from any like devops work that you're doing too so it's really neat again how you can use languages for so many different things
0: right for sure
1: so yeah I would say if not every year then like every one or two years I think over my career at Thoughtbot I don't know every day maybe (laughs) (laughs) there are a lot of smart people here so I always feel like I'm constantly learning from everyone here so I think once you get to the point where you know that there's infinite number of things that you still, still can learn. learn yeah and i think you learn. know that's when you know that like all right maybe i'm not entirely beginner like i feel like there's so many things that's just knowing how to ask the right question and knowing how to search for it
0: interesting yeah
1: simple example is just comparing how i might google search terms compared to like my family members right if they use google so it's, it's very different like i know exactly like what i'm looking for or what general sense of terms that i could use but you know my my sister might use something completely different mm-hmm. because her mind thinks differently so i i honestly don't know i mean i get this question a lot from like my workshops and meetups and everything about how do you know when you're
0: not a junior you know, not junior anymore, anymore.
1: yeah you're a senior and i mean especially because there are a lot of jobs out there for senior positions right. it's it's tough I mean, if you asked me, I, I would feel like I'm still not really a senior person. I would Why is still that? feel. I don't know. Maybe a bit of imposter syndrome. <laughs> Maybe I mean, a bit you're, of. You're like... preaching to the
0: choir here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really interesting. Everyone said that yeah. um, in all the interviews that I've been doing and all the questions that have come through. I mm-hmm. think it feels as though, from all of the responses we've been getting from both experienced devs and junior devs asking the questions, it's like half. We have no industry standard, unlike other mm-hmm. industries, of saying, like, when you're level X, you, this means Y. Mm-hmm. So it's half like we're all flying blind, really. Mm-hmm. And then the second part is imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. It's this combination of we don't really know what the steps look like and yep. whether the steps are the same for everyone or whether the steps are different when you're in different programming languages or mm-hmm. whether you're in a startup or a consultancy or a huge tech company. No mm-hmm. one really knows what the schemer is that we're working with. And simultaneously, we all are just like desperate to be better. And we think that we're not. And mm-hmm. it, it's really confusing. So yeah, I think that's definitely relatable for a lot of us.
1: Yeah, totally. I think it's kind of a good place to be too, because I think it keeps you humble about about that's your really learning. That's Interesting.
0: That's really interesting. I'm going to dive deeper into that and play devil's apricot.
1: Um. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> So I've heard consistently that humility is espoused as a trait that ought to be aspired to, especially in the tech industry. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, we've seen what happens when humility isn't present and you get this idea of like chasing rock stars and ninjas Mm -hmm. and like all these like abstract, unachievable things. Mm -hmm. So no one wants to be a rock star, really. No one thinks that they can be a rock star. So that's that's kind of out of the question. Mm -hmm. A few people do, granted. (laughs) But I worry slightly when humility is espoused for everyone, mm-hmm. because there's definitely a group of underrepresented people in tech mm-hmm. who, when they are humble, opportunities pass by them and mm. they go to someone else. And how do you balance this idea of like, yes, we need to like, not be, again, profanity warning, <laughs> not, be, <laughs> not be the worst versions of ourselves. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we need to balance out with the ontological fact that there isn't a level playing field.
1: That's a, that's a big one. That is, that is so tough because I, I definitely struggle with that myself. Right. I will always make myself sound like I'm worse than I really am. Yeah. Uh, th- and maybe there are opportunities that pass me by and... That's it's a, it's that's something good... I've
0: definitely been wrestling with over the last six months, especially mm-hmm. with what's been happening in our community, right? Yeah. And just thinking about, like, how can we find a way of empowering people to feel as though they're in environments which support them without them having to feel like they have to step out of their comfort zone in terms of personality. Mm -hmm. I feel as though you should be able to be shy or not, you know, shouting from the rooftops and still get rewarded appropriately for the work that you do. I feel like that that shouldn't be impossible to dream for us Mm -hmm. or for our generation but then everything that's been happening recently makes me think like wow we're really far from that mm-hmm. and are there are there other ways that we can be pragmatically approaching this and pragmatically kind of like saying like yeah we really wish that things were different but right now we're here and maybe we need to adopt x y and z strategies in order to ha- navigate this situations
1: so there are some things that i do personally to remind me that i'm in an okay state right that there, I mean, I go through the whole lack of self-esteem and, like, low confidence thing like, all the time. And so some of the things that I've done maybe in the last year or two is actually running things down that awesome. I've accomplished. Awesome. Because these reminders are just so important to me. Because when you're in the state of frustration and confusion and just, you know, downright... Crappy? I yeah. don't I, can, I, can I say crappy? You can say crappy. You can say crappy. <laughs> I, can, I could use another word, but <laughs> uh, let's stick with crappy. Yeah, so when I'm not feeling great, I, I would look at these things, even if it's just a small thing, like my coworker gave me a really nice compliment in my PR or something like that. Like something like nice approach or like good call, or something like that. Like yeah. something really, really small. It could be like that or it could be something bigger. And it makes me feel good and it makes me remember that you know, maybe I do know some stuff sometimes. And I don't know, like, it sounds really egotistical in a way to like, capture or like narcissistic to like capture compliments about yourself. But I
0: I would say I, not in the slightest. <laughs> um, like,
1: I, I, I just kind of need that confidence boost because I just forget all the time, essentially. Yeah. And I think that would be very helpful if maybe more people have a way of keeping track or like reminding themselves that you're fine you're doing just fine yeah and for times when you realize okay like maybe this thing isn't ideal and it's not going well then use that as an opportunity to learn and make yourself better definitely and i guess for you know keeping a balance i mean i'm not going to just like keep track of just like the good things i will keep track of the bad some of the bad things too just to kind of like keep myself in perspective and be able to, and be realistic about, hey, not everything's just like black or white. And like, you know, there are, there are things in between too. I feel like this is useful for, for, so personally, like for performance reviews or like the quarterly reviews that we do. Because it's really hard to think back on like, what have I done for the past three months? Right. Never mind like a year, which, you know, some people do for, at their companies, their annual reviews. I mean yeah it's just it's just so important to remember like all of your accomplishments and be proud of them and be able to tell people about it too, yeah I think that's like why I went to web development as right. well, like there's something to show for it mm. <laughs> mm. you can show you working really like in a way that you really can't in a lot of other industries yeah yeah, yeah exactly, and be able to explain it to my parents and you know, you know this is a thing, thing I made, yeah, yeah. exactly so. It's definitely a balance of, like, Mm self-awareness and also having other people know about, like, remind you, too. Like, I mean, you could just constantly, you know, talk yourself up, but I feel like it also helps if, like, your managers and supervisors, whoever, also expresses that they see these things, too. No, it's not a one-sided thing. I feel. You I know?
0: mean, definitely. I was going to follow into this idea of like feedback in the tech community. Mm-hmm. I find that really challenging. I think, unlike, I don't know. I, I'm not sure if it's unique in any way because I think of the entertainment industry, which can be quite brutal in terms. Mm-hmm. I mean, like the X Factor model of feedback isn't necessarily where we want to go. Yeah. But at the same time, because tech has traditionally attracted a specific sort of personality mm-hmm. type and the activity of the work itself is quite insular and quite self-oriented yep. it doesn't necessarily put itself in a position to be primed for group feedback or mm-hmm. feedback between peers and the feedback can be quite emotionless or matter of fact mm-hmm. which when you're looking for some sort of validation in your work or validation mm-hmm. in your workplace I think it could definitely benefit for some more rounded out like Hey, this was really great like it supported me in x y and z ways rather than like okay cool. You know? Yeah. And I don't know I don't know what what's going to move that needle forward mm-hmm. other than like us proactively making the effort to do that for other people and hoping that somehow it kind of like creates waves of change that
1: totally. I've heard a lot of different conversations about this. I've read some things about this as well. Mm. And it's hard to give and receive feedback well. It's a science. Yeah, it really is. And I think the biggest thing is to realize there isn't a blanket way to do any of it. I feel like it's important to realize that everyone has their own form, their own style of communication, and it takes time to learn that. Right. You have to do that at an individual level. Right. And certain comments and certain approaches resonate with people differently. And I think that's just something that you have to remember and take into account when you're talking to people, especially in a large group, mm. and constantly ask for feedback on, on the things that you're saying and doing. And I think that would go a very long way. It's really just having discussion about how to talk about things or how to communicate about things. Like it's It's very meta, but yeah, that makes the biggest difference, really. I mean, it's really easy to assume that people will you know, take things this way or take things that way. But you can't do that. Like, we are humans and we're all different.
0: <laughs> I want that as a
1: t-shirt because I feel like some <laughs> days we're forgetting this. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's hard. Like, in tech, the majority, you know, are, you know, white, Caucasian men and all that stuff. But even then, they... That's I, I, I can't say that, like, they all communicate the same way. Like, you, you can't say that. in like, you know, never mind, you know, a more diverse set of people. Mm. Yeah, just remembering that we are individuals, too. Right. I think just remembering that is good. And that will add a little more of a human element to the way that we communicate. And, you know, I try to talk to my coworkers as if they're my friends, if possible. Like, you can share space much as you want or you're you know comfortable doing so that's also like a your own form of expression too and then maybe somehow you know your peers will pick up on how you communicate and how you receive their communication and you know
0: set a standard Yeah. yeah, yeah
1: basically I mean just have to constantly gauge how to you know how to talk to people you know, you were just saying before this, like you speak very softly. So I'm not gonna like <laughs> yell at you. <laughs> you know, so I'm just like constantly adjusting. And I, I think that's how it should be. And just, right. You know, general communication with people. Definitely.
0: Wow, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for taking sure the time out Thank from you. your work to do this. I really, really appreciate it. And I think a lot of the listeners and the people who've been responding
1: will appreciate this conversation too. So, yeah. Awesome. Thank you awesome. so much. Thank you. Cheers.